And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 105, coming at you podcast only this week. Sorry for the delay. Uh, As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, and solo show. Solo show this week again. Uh, Still trying to work out the scheduling. Don't know when that's going to get fixed, so here we go. Uh, Flying solo, you know what that means. This is another edition of Rich Reads the News. All right, so let's get right into headlines. Headline. What the new CIA leaks tell us about the U.S. government. Headlines. Africa trade meeting has no Africans after U.S. visa denials. Headline. Donations flood into Meals on Wheels after White House threatens to pull funding. Headline. Food taxes should die but won't. Headline. Judge orders Google to hand over data on anyone who searched for a certain name. Headline. How the government ruined U.S. health care and what can be done. Headline. <clears throat> when they nullify the law, jurors are just doing their jobs. And finally, headline. Uh, the EPA may have been in bed with big pesticides for years. All right, let's go right from the top. Uh, headline. What the new CIA leaks tell us about the U.S. government. Uh, the greatest danger to the state is independent intellectual criticism. Uh, quote by Murray Rothbard. Uh, my hero, if I would have heroes, but I don't, so he's not. Uh, WikiLeaks may have finally done what many small and anti-government advocates have only dreamed of. They exposed the Central Intelligence Agency for what it is. <clears throat> A bloated government bureaucracy that has grown, t- grown too large to be restrained. According to the document dump released by Julian Assange's whistleblower hub, This list of highly confidential information regarding the CIA emerged from an agency's Center for Cyber Intelligence in Langley, revealing details of the agency's global global covert hacking program. The CIA's hacking effort has been so powerful and effective, the leaks show, that it includes the weaponizing of exploits used against products such as the iPhone, Android phone, Samsung TVs, and Microsoft Windows. This means any of the devices can be used as a spying mechanism at any given time. But perhaps most troubling is the revelation that the CIA lost control of the majority of its hacking arsenal over time. That includes viruses, malware, trojans, malware remote control systems, and the previously mentioned weaponized exploits. In so many words, this means the U.S. government has handed over the keys to the most intimate secrets of every single one of us to anyone with access to these lost tools. By allowing the CIA to grow so absolutely powerful, we also allow the agency to be absolutely careless with our own lives. What we have learned from this, that regardless of how detached we may be seen from politics, its influence and power grows as we refrain from restricting it. Even if most of those involved aren't quite aware of the mechanisms that allow for this expansion. Uh, The government is the ultimate monopoly and that's why the CIA is so powerful. As Austrian economist Murray Rothbard wrote in his pivotal essay, Anatomy of the State, The government is entirely wired to be that organization in society which attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force and violence in a given territorial area. This is not because there is a conspiracy to ensure every subject lives solely to serve the state, but because government has no moral legitimacy. In other words, government is only powerful because we, the individuals, have allowed it to have sole guardianship over our property, including self-ownership and freedoms. Once government has total control over every basic aspect of our lives, those within government see no boundaries. Why? Because the burden of self-censorship and even the personal responsibility doesn't lie with the individual any longer. 
once the government employee crosses over, stepping into a world where he is protected by an invisible authority. He is no longer a person who is led by the same morals that guided him before he assumed this position. He's now a bureaucrat. And as such, he now knows he will no longer have to be accountable for his actions. What does that have to do with the latest revelations of, on the CIA? When a lack of personal responsibility meets the always ravaging needs of the monopolistic state, the individual loses any sovereignty he has, ever, he has, he has over his own life. The government worker becomes a thirsty member of the state, always looking for ways to undermine freedom while the so-called private individual becomes just another government enabler under its control. The CIA has been careless with the tools it uses to spy on all of us, and whether or not we are guilty of committing crimes, it is clear that it has been equally careless with what it's extracted from us over the years. This invites abuse from the inside, uh, which is what we saw happening with the National Security Agency after Edward Snowden revealed the massive spying program and sweeping our personal data, while also giving malicious elements outside of the CIA the same access to our personal communications. We have only ourselves to blame for how out of control the CIA has become, and that's because we have forgotten, or perhaps never known, that the government's monopoly over our lives is not granted, not warranted. Will the CIA leaks be the straw that broke the camel's back? Somehow, I highly doubt it. Uh, end of the article. It's articles like this, and I've said it here before, where it's, it, it reaches the crossover point in my existence, in my experience, in the anarchist experience, um, where commentary on the news comes from multiple sides with multiple perspectives. And whereas I appreciate the anarchist, the libertarian perspectives on these leaks, um, I also end up hearing it uh, from not as sympathetic sources, um, like tech journalists or so-called tech journalists. And what I hear from that side, and they, they happen to, you know, lean left, is so irritating and obnoxious, I guess, that I just, it, it almost, almost makes me want to stop listening to their perspective um, because they don't open a dialogue for debate. <clears throat> Not like this show, where you can call in whenever you want to, when we're live, and send messages and stuff, and we'll talk to you uh, when we can. Uh, but they, they, these these tech uh, shows they they don't they don't offer uh, an opportunity to debate. They don't want to. They just they want to spew their uh, leftist ideological nonsense uh, and their statist ideological nonsense, <clears throat> and it's frustrating. So despite some of their uh, analysis on, on the leaks, right, they, they come from a place of, well, that's the CIA's job, is to, is to spy on foreigners. So wouldn't, wouldn't we want them to have these tools to spy on foreigners? Isn't that, if that's what they're designed to do, wouldn't we want them to do the best that they can at it? For America! <laughs> for us, for the state! Um, and it... it you know the, the the question that I would have for them, right? If if we, if if they if they allowed an open debate, an open discussion, and I you know had the time to call in, talk to them, or, or you know go do an email back and forth, whatever was, um, is is it okay just because it's it's the purview 
of their position, right? Is is any is any state mandated purview uh, automatically legitimate because it comes from you know it comes from the state, right? Oh no, there's there's nothing wrong with with murdering uh, brown people in foreign countries uh, because that's that's what that's what the military does. That's their purview. Wouldn't we want them to kill the best, you know, be the best killers possible? Wouldn't we want the CIA to be like the best spy team possible? Because that's their purview. That's, you know. <clears throat> and and from that perspective, to me, right, it, it erases all morality and all ethics uh, from the discussion. Because the discussion isn't, you know, isn't uh, should it be their purview. It's already assumed that it is, and that because it is, it's okay. And because it's okay, we might as well be the best at it. And the the discussion that I like, you know, that I like to hear from, uh, you know, the 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 liberty minded, uh, the freedom oriented, the anarchist people out there, uh, is the well, sh- it should not be their purview. Number one, and they should not exist. Number two, and we can handle things on our own. Number three, right, as individuals. We do not need uh, a state-sponsored spy agency trying to find out uh, what nefarious things Russia and Syria and Romania, uh, and whatever Romania, uh, you know, as an example, uh, what they you know have in store for us, <clears throat> uh, because the likelihood is uh, the citizens don't have anything in store for us, right? There, if, if if they're anything like us, right? They're they're just trying to get by, do their day-to-day thing, and and get on with it. Um, and then, you know, whatever their government, you know, propagandists are telling them, uh, they, they, you know, probably have some emotional attachment to that as well, like most Americans. Um, and it ruins, it ruins the discussion that should be had, which is, do we need them and why do they exist? And, and what would really happen if they were gone, right? If the United States of America had no CIA spying on foreigners, who cares? Right? I mean, really, who cares? Would it bother you? Would, would you change your day-to-day operations? Would you do anything differently uh, if the CIA wasn't spying on furners? Would you be down in a bunker, uh, worried sick to death uh, that's, you know, some agent provocateur, uh, you know, from another state, another country, another nation uh, was going to sit out? Travel the vast oceans and do you harm? Would you be concerned about that? Probably not. Right? I wouldn't be. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd brush my teeth, I'd comb my hair sometimes, and I'd head off to work, try to make some money so I can survive, eat some more food, live another day, that sort of thing. And it boggles the mind, boggles my mind, uh, when, when we have, uh, again, highly influential commentator going like oh no that's their job like they're good they're good good that they have the tools to do their job if their job is to spy give them all the tools they want to spy and then it's like well they're only spying on furners it's not like they're the nsa spying on americans but that's okay too because that's the purview of the nsa right if you want to get mad at something now, don't get mad at that because that's hey, it's what they're designed to do. That's it's, you know, it's it's their purpose. Uh, the military kills. The CIA spies on foreigners. The NSA spies on, on Americans, on on citizens of the United States, and that's 
That's that's what they're there for. That's that's their job. And as long as they're doing their job, they might as well do it the best that they can, just like everybody else. Um, and it's bothersome to me. I guess that's the main point. I'm bothered. I'm bothered by that mindset because number one, uh, it's coming from influential, uh, you know, in, influential personalities uh, in those sectors, right? And unfortunately, once they're seen as you know an authority in their particular area of expertise, uh, in 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 this case, you know, the technology world and the technology industry and you know, all new fun tech gadgets and all that crap. Um, then they, they, then people hang on to their commentary in areas outside of their purview, right? It's the whole, I've, I've said it here before, stay in your lane, right? Like, you know, if, if I, I listen to your show for tech news and the latest gadgets and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't listen, I don't listen to your show to hear political commentary, um, because it's not your, it's not your, it's not your lane, right? They even even said it once, like you know, someone called in and tried to have a debate. It's like, oh, this is not the place for that kind of debate. Now you call into your local political talk show, but I'm going to spew my nonsense uh, on the political realm. I just won't have a discussion with it with you about it because this is not the time or place, right? It's the time and place for me to spew my political views, but not the time or place for you to question it. Right, you do that. You do that somewhere else. So here I am, somewhere else, <clears throat> having a one-way discussion and a one-way debate uh, with with tech journalists for stuff out of their lane. And they don't listen to my show, most likely, but I listen to theirs. So good for them, bad for me. Um, but if they were to, right, stay in your lane. I do the anarchist experience. It's political commentary from an anarchist perspective. If you want to call in, we do that too. You got to call in though, right? It's it's the number one anarchist call-in show available on the Anarchist Experience or anarchistexperience.com, right? I don't know. I really don't know. There's not a lot of call-in shows that I can think of that is, you know, that does it like this. So I'm going to say we're number one. Um, but we open up and, and you can call in. And you can try to have a discussion about anything, right? But there's some things that's not my purpose, it's not my purview, so I don't discuss it here, right? Everything I talk about, at least I try to, right? I try to relate my experience, the anarchist experience, uh, with you out there. Um, so a lot of a lot of what I say and discuss, even if it doesn't seem like uh, it's on topic or related, um, I try to tie it in to some some anarchist perspective, some some philosophical point. Uh, some some theory uh, in in anarchism and anarcho-capitalism, all that that uh, and, and economics that I think is relevant to the discussion or to my experience at the time, right? And you can call in and you can do the same thing, right? The the the, the question we asked at episode one, right? Or maybe not episode one because episode one was kind of janky and we were just you know fiddling our way through it. Uh, but the question of the show, right? The purpose of the show is for you. Uh, you know, anarchist people out there, if you're listening, to have your friends, your status friends, the people you're trying to convince, the people you're trying to get the message home with, because they're not listening to you, maybe they'll listen to a stranger on the radio, right, is what's your favorite government program and why, right? That's the question I want answered by status out there, uh, just so we can we can tear it down, pick it apart, <clears throat> explain freedom to them, um, 
you know, by, by deconstructing their position and then reconstructing a better one from a free market libertarian anarchist perspective. Uh, that's the purpose. That's the purview. Uh, if you don't call in, then we read the news, right? And if I got nothing to say, then I read more of the news. Luckily for you, I always have enough to say to cover not reading so much of the news. It's easier with MC here. So we miss you, buddy. Uh, but I, I don't I don't venture out of my lane necessarily. And when I do, I try to make sure that there's a tie-in, right? And I, I try to keep it from, you know, the, the non-aggression principle perspective, from the libertarian, perspective, libertarian anarchist perspective. And again, I use those interchangeably for the most part, depending on the audience. Um, and that's what I do, right? And, and if you listen to this show, you'll know uh, that when it comes to, you know, things like the, the CIA leaks and the NSA leaks, um, yes, it's bad. And it's mostly an I told you so, right? It's an I told you so from all the conspiracy theorists, from all the weirdos, from all the freaks uh, out there that, that actually pay attention, right, and know this stuff. And then the evidence come out and go, told you so. But you guys have your heads buried so far in the sand or so far up, you know, s- some other commentators' arse. Uh, that you don't you, you you don't see what we see you don't know what we know, um, you know and, and it was and it was an ironic thing that I posted on Facebook years ago. I said you know uh, I need you to think for yourself so you'll think more like me and then you will see what I see because it just seems like you know the the mentality of the state uh, of the statists. Um, is just to you know is just to assume certain things are acceptable when they're not, and then the the anarchist comes along and goes well that's unacceptable and they go of course it's not unacceptable it's their purview it's perfectly acceptable because that's what they're designed to do right if something is designed to do a thing and is doing the thing then it's acceptable to be doing the thing not that it's moral not that it's ethical not that it's right not that it's righteous not that it's just but that it's acceptable. To be doing the thing that it's doing because that's what it's designed to do. And I'm here to say no. 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 Right? There are bigger questions to be answered before we go, well, are they doing a good or bad job at what they're designed to do? And if we can get that question at the top of the list instead of, well, yeah, look at it. The CIA spies on people. So, like, good, good. You would want them to spy the best that they can. Before we get there... Let's find out whether the spying is necessary. Let's find out whether the CIA is necessary. Let's find out whether the state is necessary or not. And then if it's not, which it's not, then get rid of it first. Uh, and then start answering the questions about what should be done uh, instead. Right? Well, what do we do about you know nationalistic threats from afar? And you know my answer is like band together with your neighbors and get armed and fight back if they if they attack. But the re- then the, the, the begs the question. If, if you're not doing anything to them, if you're not spying on them and they're not worried and all you're doing is like growing vegetables and picking fruit and, you know, making technology happen and whatever it is you're doing uh, in a market economy, in a free market economy, in a black market economy, right? What do they care? What's their incentive to like waste their resources to bomb you uh, if all you're trying to do is like sell them TVs or food? And I would say they wouldn't care. Like I don't, I don't, I have, I have zero worries 
uh, about what's going on in other countries and whether or not they're going to attack me uh, if we're if we're doing nothing but trading goods and services with them. Right. It's when we do nonsense like spy on them and try to, you know, subvert uh, their governments and overthrow their dictators and all this other crap that, you know, stay in your lane. Right. All this other nonsense. Uh, that's when you that's when there's a concern that, well, they, they might retaliate. And what, how do I I need the I need the big, bad military defense to prevent against retaliation. Uh, so that's the purview of the military. So good that we have them. Well, no. Right. If you don't attack first, you don't have to worry about retaliation. And will there be some crazy, some nuts, you know, who just go off the rails and, and go on a killing spree without it? Yeah, sure. But you can't prevent against that anyway, right? That that pops up uh, so quick the military and the police have no way to respond to, pre- to prevent it. It just happens. Uh, and then, you know, and then, then they have the fallout afterwards, right? They, they investigate afterwards. Um, so, yeah. I think that's all I have to say about that. Moving on. Headline. Africa trade meeting has no Africans after U.S. visa denials. All right, this was funny because the headline itself, so darn catchy. Um, And yet, you know, already, you know, without reading into the article, which I did, but we'll read it again. um, Just just show just shows the, the, the nonsense of whatever um, travel restrictions or, uh, you know, Muslim bans or immigration controls. Um, just so stupid, right? Like, how, how do you, how, how do you uh, open up the, the, the lines of communication between nations if all you're doing is, like, not letting them come to the talks? Uh, reading into the article. Each year, the University of Southern California brings delegations from Africa to meet with business leaders, government officials, and others in the U.S. But this year, the African summit has no Africans. All were denied visas. Visa issues are not uncommon for people traveling from African nations. During her prior three summits, Mary Flowers saw a high percentage of her attendees at the African Global Economics and Development Summit unable to obtain visas. Usually we get 40% that get rejected by the others, but the others come, said Flowers, chair of the African Global Economic and Development Summit. This year it was 100%. Every delegation, and it was sad to see, because these people were so disheartened. Uh, Flowers estimated that she lost about 100 attendees, including speakers and government officials. Uh, The countries affected included Sierra Leone, Guinea, Ghana, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and South Africa. A discrimination issue. I have to say that most of us feel it's a discrimination issue with the African nation, said Flowers. We experience it over and over and over, and the people being rejected are legitimate business people with ties to the continent. A request for comment from the State Department was not immediately returned. Uh, Flowers said that those who were denied visas were called for embassy interviews just days before they were supposed to travel, despite having applied weeks or even months ahead of time. Uh, one of those denied visas was Prince Kojo Hilton, a Ghanaian artist uh, who work, whose work includes special effects and graphics art. He paid his $500 fee to attend the event and, went, and was asked to lead a session on filmmaking, but he held off buying his plane ticket until his appointment at the embassy on March 13th, four days before he was supposed to travel. I was really disappointed when I went to the embassy, Hilton said in an interview with VOA. Travel ban. 
It remains unclear why all the Africans heading to the event were denied visas this year. Diane E. Watson, who formerly represented a Los Angeles area district in Congress, said she had called the State Department to ask for information about the denial of visas for would-be delegates to the USC summit. But the State Department isn't allowed to discuss individual visa cases. With the heightened attention on foreign nationals coming to the U.S., there have been stories of more visas being denied to people from countries other than those named in the Trump administration's executive order. But, but visas are routinely denied by U.S. embassies without explanation. If there had been an increase in the number of visas rejected under the new administration, it's hard to verify. The, public ava the publicly available State Department data dates only to late 2016. Uh, end of the article. This is another one where the perspective of the people um, is probably the most annoying thing, right? Because we look at the article and they go, oh, yeah, they're denied visas. Of course, of course, Africans are denied visas. Uh, why wouldn't they be? They're from Africa. Um, and it, it, the, the deeper question, right, again, that, that needs to be answered is why aren't they allowed to travel anyway, Right. Why not let free people travel freely if they can afford a plane ticket and room and board on the other side? Or even if they can't, who cares? Right? Just let let them be where they want to be as human beings uh, instead of slapping on an African label or, or a Ghanaian label uh, and then saying, like, nope, you come from a place that we don't like, so therefore you're not allowed here. Right? What, what a way to build relationships with the people of those countries. Not even, not even necessarily um, the, the state actors, the state members of those countries, right? But what a, what a way to build the, the relationship with the people saying like, oh, no, you come from that place with those people in charge? No, you can't come here. Forget that. Not going to happen. And it's so silly. I, I just... It's hard, it's hard for me now to even wrap my head around the idea that other people have where they say, no, that's unacceptable, right? Like, who, why would you do that to another human being? Why would you say that about another person? I understand if you have, like, a personal grudge against somebody. I've had many of those, right? But for people you've never met that you've never seen that you'll likely never interact with and you're just you're okay it's like oh yeah that's the purview of the state department right again purviews right the, the state department rejects visas and uh, that's that's how it is so it's just what happens and i just you know like my 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 commentary before uh, i read through the article kind of sums it up right like how do you how do you expect to build relations how do you expect to like advanced uh, ad advance your relationship and, and start to trade with these people because I'm sure they have stuff to trade, right? I, I mean, pe I think I think a lot of people still get the wrong idea um, about Africans in general, and you know they, they've got that uh, you know the, the the National Geographic view of of what's going on in Africa. And it's like no, you know they're, they're human beings. They they have they they run businesses. They trade amongst themselves, and then why not give them a seat at the global table, right? If 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 they can if they can compete at the global level, why not just let them, right? What's what's with all the bans, all the restrictions, all the nonsense, right? If they, they want to come here, let them come here. If they have dollars, you know, to to spend here, 
Let them spend it. Right? If they have things to sell, let them sell it. Right? If they have things to trade, let them trade it. If they want to buy stuff, let them buy stuff. Right? If you're concerned about them blowing something up, well, then investigate that instead. Right? On a private level, right? Not, 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 even, not even in the state police, you know, FBI level. But if, if you're the private owner of, a, of an establishment, you go like, man, I think that guy might be trying to blow my place up. Uh, then it's incumbent upon you to do that, right? To, to figure that out. And if it's a private establishment, by all means, keep them out, right? But you can't, there's, for some reason, I don't know how this got, uh, this got construed uh, or misconstrued in, in the libertarian mindset uh, amongst, you know, popular libertarian thinkers and talkers uh, out there. And that's the, well, the state, the United States, is one big piece of private property, and so the owners of that private property can keep out who they want. It doesn't work like that, right? You can't, you can't, you can't be a libertarian, no true Scotsman, whatever. You can't be a libertarian or an anarchist and still think that you know, and still think that um, state ownership of property is the equivalent of private ownership of property. When the whole mission of the anarchists and of the libertarians is to remove the state from the equation to return the property to the actual private owners and legitimate ownership, right? You you don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to say, well, private property is a good thing. We got to get that out of the state's hands. But as long as the state has it, it's the state's property. And therefore, they can make whatever rules they want on it, right? That, that, That sentiment legitimizes all government. Right, and then you then there's no fight after that, right? If if they if they own it and they own own it legitimately and they can make the rules about it, well then, you know you're the usurper trying to trying to steal it from them, right? To return it back to who? To someone who doesn't own it. Um, and that's backwards thinking, right? It, it's you know it's stolen property that you're trying to return to the owners by all means. Yes, go for it, do it. Let's do it by any means necessary. Um, and until we do that, right, we're not going to, we should not uh, allow them to make the rules that dictate how we operate and how we run our lives or where we can and cannot go. Right. I've shared this on the show before. So if you're an old listener, thank you for listening to me again. But it's a relevant point. Uh, if you're a new listener, thanks. You know, let's talk. Um, at, at one point in time, I, you know, I was taking a class that required a passport. Uh, and, um, I ended up getting one, but I had no intention on doing so to the point where I, you know, I said, well, I'll, I'll make my own. I'll just, you know, what's so special about these little pieces of paper and these documentations that I can't just create my own. So I had a buddy of mine. I'm like, dude, text me a picture or email me a picture of your passport. I'm going to design my own. And then they said, well, if that's not a valid passport, right, wherever we're going that requires a passport, uh, you guys go that way, and I'll walk a mile down the other way where there's no, like, border guards and crossing guards and, you know, JPO guards. Is that right? Yeah. None of those people, like, watching where I cross the imaginary line in the sand, and then I'll meet up with you later at, at the other place, Right. Uh, if the illegal Mexicans can swim across a river to get here, then I can f- swim across whatever to get to wherever we're going to. Or at least close enough. 
there's got to be a way. Um, and that was that was my mentality. And like you know, un- fortunately slash unfortunately, um, you know, my uh, another buddy who was taking the same class found a way to expedite the passport process. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll just you know, for expediency and not to rock the boat. Um, you know, I decided to get back. And not, okay, so not to rock the boat um, too much, right? Because this 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 point also goes back to the whole stay in your lane thing, right? The, the, the class that I was taking wasn't a political philosophy class. Uh, so I, 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 I held my tongue on a lot of things that I could have, you know, come out with the anarchist perspective on uh, or had a discussion about. Um, but I went, okay, this is, this is, that's, they're not bringing it up, right? Uh, kudos to them. Um, they're staying in their lane as far as the topic of the class. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to let certain things slide and I'm not going to comment on it. I'm not going to say anything about it, at least from the anarchist perspective. Um, so I said, OK, well, we can get the passport, you know, by all means, let's let's just go ahead and do it. And we didn't travel anywhere. It was just it was it was a thing. It was like a it's a it was a teaching moment. It was a teaching moment that required an anarchist perspective. Uh, but again, the tongue was bitten Um and 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 I, I kept my mouth shut. So let, let's comment on it here because I'm in my lane now, uh, and I can do so. So part one of the topics of the of the class was a, a focus on freedom and liberty. I'm like, oh yeah, I love freedom and liberty. Uh, and the, and the reason you have the passport is because without the passport, you don't have the freedom or the liberty to travel wherever you want. So this is the thing, right? If you want freedom and liberty, you must have a passport. And, uh, you know, in, in, in my mind, I'm going, well, that's that that begs the question, does it not? What kind of nonsense is this where I have to ask for permission to have freedom and liberty? Bullshit. But I didn't. I didn't say it at the time. So I'm saying here. Uh, I shouldn't need a passport to go anywhere. Right. I should just need the ability and the funds uh, to get to where I want to go. And that be the end of it. Right. If I want to go to Cambodia, uh, I should just be able to afford a plane ticket to Cambodia and spending money and whatever else I want to do there. That's it. I don't need a passport. I don't need a visa. I don't need permission. I should just be able to go. Same for any other country. You want to go to Thailand, go to Thailand. You want to go to Mexico, go to Mexico. You want to go to Nova Scotia, go to Nova Scotia. But you don't need a little piece of plastic or a little piece of paper giving you the permission to do so. That's slave mentality. That's not freedom mentality. That's not liberty mentality. The liberty mentality is I go where I want to go because I can go there. Period. End of story. Right? Not None of this like, oh, I wonder if they're going to be, I wonder if it's a country that I'm not allowed to go to because I was born in a certain area. People get all excited about opening up Cuba. Right? To the United States. Oh, Cuban, you can now, if you're from the United States, you can now go to Cuba. United States government finally gave you permission, you United States citizen, to go to Cuba. Right? Like, they, they gave you the permission. With, without their permission, uh, you, would, you, would, you would not able to go legally. Right? There were consequences and repercussions. Uh, if you wanted to travel outside of their purview, of the, outside of their allowable zone. And you got the little piece of plastic, so they call it freedom and liberty. It's nonsense. It's a restriction. It's a license. It's a permission slip. It's a permission slip from your masters to go where you want to go. 
So I feel bad for these Africans, right? I don't know what their purpose at these meetings were uh, or, or what the discussion was, and who knows? It might, may not have been freedom and liberty discussion. They might be discussing, oh, how can Africans have a better state, you know, and then take care of the African people and uh, extract money and wealth from them. Who knows, right? But irrelevant to my point, which is that they shouldn't be banned. They should be allowed. They should be allowed to come and have those discussions, right? The the discussions. I don't have a problem with the discussions. I don't have a problem uh, with you know with different perspectives. It's when those perspectives get enacted uh, under the force of violence and threat of violence and the, and the, you know down the down the barrel of a gun uh, that we have an issue, right? If they want to take policies back to Africa and the African people don't consent, and therefore the policies go nowhere, good on the African people. Uh, if they want to take policies back to Africa and force it upon the African people, uh, bad on them for doing so, and poor African people for not rising up, revolted, pitchforks and, and torches and all that nonsense uh, to, to, to revolt against uh, their oppressive regime. And boo to the Americans out there, right, who have that same mentality. I was, I was thinking um, about this mentality, right? And and I'm 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 I may or may not. So if it if I don't already have it up by the time you hear this, please feel free to go ahead and steal the idea. Uh, but the idea is just you know uh, it's a uh, another parody Facebook page, just another you know I'm I'm gonna call it you know the political shepherd, right? Uh, if, if 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 all these you know thinkers and and people out there. Who just listen to the commentary from either the left or the right and just, you know, bow their head and nod along uh, with, with what their with, with, with their political uh, masters are telling them. Well, then why not get them to bow their head and nod along with the message of freedom and liberty? Right. And that's that's where, you know, the political shepherd comes in. I will lead the flock. And any other, you know, any other political shepherd out there, you know, grab a flock and lead them too, uh, but lead them down the path of freedom and liberty and free markets and, and free trade and voluntarism and all that other stuff, right? If 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 they're if they're such sheeple, and can be led so easily, right? Let's just let's just lead them, right? Who cares about breaking away and, and like I'm not even saying like you know join join the political parties and and you know run for congress or do anything like that i'm just saying you know grab them by the brain horns uh and and you know show them a better way show them the righteous way the just way you know the the anarchist way uh of how of, of how human interaction should be conducted uh free from force fraud and coercion right and lead them be the, be the political shepherd for your little area and lead them down the 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 path of righteousness and justice And, and hopefully together, right, you know, the, the, the coalition, just, now this is new, right, the coalition of political shepherds, uh, you know, will we'll, we'll turn the tides and uh, remove this nonsense, right? The, the people who actually run uh, for office, uh, you know, will we'll get the idea, hopefully, and we won't have to worry about there, and they'll quit and disband the government, and then the Africans can come to the African summit whenever they damn well please, Right? And whenever they damn well, they can come to the summit and they can come whenever they damn well please. Because this this will be the, the bastion for freedom and liberty where uh, you're allowed to be here. 
And if you break a law, you'll be punished under the law, you know, un- under the private property laws uh, of whosoever property you violated as such. And not under, you know, uh, uh, not under some, you know, BS man-made law, but an actual property rights violation. Um, and as long as you're respectful of other people's property, you ain't got nothing to worry about. But that's not the world we live in right now. So right now you have an African summit with no Africans. Right? How stupid is that? How stupid is it that the 40% was an acceptable rate to begin with? Oh, yeah, we used to get like 40% rejection, so... You know, eh, it's no big deal. Just, you know, 40% of people usually don't make it in. And they're, they're like, they're happy about that. And 100% this time is like, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's over the top. Right? Just like wages. 100%, oh, that's slavery. 40%, oh, no, that's acceptable. That's a, you, you should be paying 40% of your taxes. Uh, 40% of your wages and taxes. That's perfectly fine. That's... That's about right for the government. For the, they need about 40% from everybody to, to run efficiently and effectively. Nonsense. Nonsense, I say. All right, moving on. Headline. Uh, donations flood into Meals on Wheels after White House threatens to pull funding. For the elderly living at home can be difficult, to say the least. Just getting the meals they need can be a struggle. And for many, Meals on Wheels has been the answer. So when Trump's budget proposal released Thursday threatened to slash all federal funding for the program, a whole lot of Americans were outraged. And they acted on that outrage. Following the news, 50 times the usual donations flooded into Meals on Wheels America in a single day, Yahoo News reports. The organization also saw a whole lot of people offering up their time as well as their cash. Jenny Bartoli, vice president of communication at Wheels, Meals on Wheels, said it saw almost a 500% jump in volunteer signups through their website, americaletsdolunch.org. The mass goodwill came after social media storm of backlash. Even Meals on Wheels on Self explained exactly why taking away those public funds would be so destructive. Uh, and here, Here's some tweets. Uh, when my dad was first showing signs of dementia and couldn't get to o- Ohio to get him yet, Meals on Wheels saved him. Literally kept him alive. And Meals on Wheels' response, Cuts of any kind would be devastating for millions of vulnerable seniors. Uh, homebound elderly people who may otherwise have had to live in nursing homes are especially helped by the program. 2.4 million seniors, including half a million veterans, have received a total of 217 million meals through the program. It received $517 million in federal funding through the Older Americans Act, which supports social and nutritional services for Americans over the age of 60. But all that would end under Trump's proposal. Trump's budget outline takes away federal money for the program as it strips away 17.9% of the budget for the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees programs under the Older Americans Act, as explained by Allison Foreman, the director on Meals on Wheels in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, She told the Washington Post that while some details around the budget cuts are not totally definitive, it's clear that funding cuts will happen regardless. And that means programs like Meals on Wheels won't get government support that helped them survive for years. We realize it's unclear when the president's proposal means... uh, We realize it is unclear what the president's proposal means for nutrition and aging programs, Foreman said in an email to the Post. The overall proposal funding cuts of 17.9% for HHS, which includes the Older Americans Act funding for aging programs, is concerning. Quote. 
Oh, is that the end of the article? Damn, that's the end of the article. Shit, that was quick. Either way, not really the point. I bring up this article uh, to to highlight the point that uh, was you know we we brought up uh, a while back uh, when it was I think Planned Parenthood was having funding issues, uh, and that is if you remove the funding, people come through. Right, the, the libertarian answer is always, well, no, you don't need government funding to do stuff. People that like the programs will actually fund it on their own voluntarily, and they'll have the means to do so uh, if you don't tax them as much uh, for the government programs that you like. Right, and that's that's kind of, uh, you know, that that's kind of the perspective. So th- this whole thing, this whole Meals on Wheels, uh, you know, article, right, it. it counterproductive to probably their stated goals, right? They're probably like, you know, they're, they're all excited. Donations flood in uh, and then the article says, oh, without without the federal funding, uh, who would donate? Like, how would, how would this happen? Well, you just showed it in the article, right? You take away the federal funding and all of a sudden people donate, right? People come out of the woodwork to volunteer, to help out, to pitch in, to do good on their community because they they see the service of Meals on Wheels uh, even though it's a nonprofit, is valuable and 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 worthy of contribution towards, right? And with Planned Parenthood, right, is like you know, oh, they're gonna cut, you know, they're gonna cut funding for Planned Parenthood. What what happens? Uh, lip, libtards come out of the woodwork and donate to Planned Parenthood. Like, ah, oh, we're gonna keep it alive without you. Good. That's the whole point, right? That's that's what we want. That's what we want to see. Not that I'm supporting Trump, right? But any time you cut funding for, you know, uh, anytime you cut government funding of anything, it's probably a good thing for that thing. Right? You cut funding for Meals on Wheels. And I was, oh, my God, who's going to help the seniors? People that care about seniors. Right? We've said it here before. Well, what about the children? If you like children, go help them. Right? You know, whatever your pet issue is, uh, if the government stops funding it, uh, go fund it yourself. Right, that's that's the way charities are supposed to be. Charities aren't supposed to be, uh, you know, state-sponsored, state-funded. Oh, you know, oh, we're the charities, so now we gotta we gotta like find a way to petition the state and get grants and get handout money, uh, but because because we're we're worth it. Like no, what happens when you cut the state funding? People donate. People donate to Planned Parenthood. People donate to Meals on Wheels. Right. This this is how this is this is how the anarchist experience uh, would work. Right. This is how the libertarian paradise would be. This is how Ancapistan would operate. Right. You, you you see a need, you fill it, and and you take personal responsibility for doing so. Right. Oh my God! I can't believe the government's not going to help out. I guess I'm going to have to help out. Good. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. Your 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 good deed for the day is not supposed to come from the pocket of somebody else. Uh, that's nonsense. So we look at articles like you know the Planned Parenthood one some months ago, and we look at the articles now uh, on on meals on uh, meals on wheels. And we go, okay, good. So so now that we know people are willing to contribute once the government funding is cut, uh, where else can we cut the government funding of of charitable organizations? Right. What's next? What's next? What next can we take off the table and and get people who actually care to contribute voluntarily? Right. That's the point. That's that's how things should operate. That's what we want to see more of. Um, and again, not a fan of Trump. Not going to support Trump and and everything Trump does because he's still you know still a politician, man. Um, but you know, uh, but a, a, as we look down the scale of liberty, 
right? Cutting federal fundings for anything is always going to be a good thing. Cutting federal programs for anything is always going to be a good thing. Cutting state programs at the same level, right? Who needs them? Who, who needs them to tell you what's right and what's wrong, what you can and cannot do, right? Who needs it? And that, that's one of the reasons why, like I said earlier in the show, uh, we ask, we want staters to call in, right, when we do the live show and tell us what their favorite government program is and why. Right? Oh, I love, I love those, those programs that help the, the elderly, help the children, help, 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 help. Okay, good. So you want to help. Right. You want to do a good deed. You want to be the guy. You want to be, you know, all right, here's what you got to do. Stop funding that nonsense and start funding the private ones with people that actually care, right, from people that actually give a darn, give a damn uh, about your pet issue. Let them be the ones to front the money for it. Let them be the ones to pay for it, how it should be, right? You want to support it, you support it. Stop taking my money. I, I don't. I personally don't care about Meals on Wheels. I don't donate. I don't volunteer. I don't care, right? Uh, but if you're taking some percentage, as small as it may be, from each of my paychecks to give to the state uh, and federal government so they can fund that portion of Meals on Wheels, right? That's just wrong, right? It's immoral, unethical, bad. Because it's not yours to give. It's mine. And I don't want to give it. I want to donate to something else. Sorry. Too bad. So sorry, seniors. I don't care about your meals on wheels. Right? Let someone else handle it. Or when a need arises for me, when I'm either old or I have someone who needs it, well, then th- then I'll have the need. I'll go, like, oh, good thing this exists. Let me throw a couple bucks your way for doing a good job now. Right? But I'm in no need of your services. Thank you very much. I don't want to pay for it. I want to pay for the stuff that I like to pay for, the stuff that I want in my life, not your nonsense. Thank you very much. All right, last article, and then we're going to wrap the show because I've got other stuff to do, and I'm running out of time to do it. How the government ruined U.S. health care and what can be done? Uh, from Mises.org. It's about time we got another Mises article. Love these guys. Government's meddling in healthcare business has been disastrous from the get-go. Since 1910, when Republican William Taft gave in to the American Medical Association's lobbying efforts, most administrations have passed new healthcare regulations. With each new law or set of new regulations, restrictions on the healthcare market went further. Until at some point in the 1980s, people began to notice the cost of healthcare had skyrocketed. This is not an accident, it's by design. As regulators allow special interests to help design policy, everything from medical education to drugs became dominated by virtual monopolies that wouldn't have otherwise existed if not for government's notion that intervening in people's lives is part of their job. But how did costs go up, and why why didn't this happen overnight? It wasn't until 1972 that President Richard Nixon restricted the supply of hospitals by requiring institutions to provide a certificate of need. Just a couple years later, in 1974, the president also strengthened unions for hospital workers by boosting pension protections, which raised the cost for both those who run hospitals and taxpayers in cases of institutions that rely on government subsidies. This move also helped force doctors who once owned and ran their own hospitals to merge into provider monopolies. These, in turn, are often only able to keep their doors open with the help of government subsidies. This artificial restriction on healthcare access has yet another harsh consequence. Overworked doctors. 
uh, but they weren't the first to feel the consequences hit home. As the number of hospitals and clinics became further restricted and the healthcare industry became obsessed with simple compliance, patients were the first to feel abandoned. According to Business Insider, the average doctor has thousands of patients and each visit lasts less than 30 minutes. Uh, prior to the government's slow but absolute control of healthcare, the doctors listened to the patient. Many old-timers will confirm, even if they couldn't afford it, few were turned down. Uh, now doctors can hardly recall the conversation they had with the people they're supposed to be looking after. Uh, as President Barack Obama pushed further restrictions on the insurance industry by touting his Affordable Care Act as a piece of legislation that would make insurance more affordable, uh, ignoring that insurance isn't the same as care. That's a big point right there. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Insurance isn't the same as care. Right, this this right here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop for a minute right here because this is the big problem that people think when they get into the healthcare discussion. Right, they go, I need health insurance to get health care. The answer is no, no, you don't. It's different. It's insurance. It's not care. Once you once once you find it in your mind to separate the two, a lot of other things fall in place, like why you shouldn't be needing insurance for regular health care. Um, back into the article. Uh, the overall cost of coverage also increased over the years. And as a result, a new group of independent healthcare professionals went on to ignite one of the most liberating revolutions in recent U.S. history. Uh, Business Insider chronicles the story behind Dr. Brian Hill's practice. As a pediatrician, Hill spent most of his life dealing with insurance companies. But one day, after answering an impromptu house call, he decided he had enough. That's when he learned about primary care clinics. Uh, these offices remain open by giving patients memberships in exchange for a monthly fee that covers most of what the average patient requires. As a result, the patient pays the doctor directly and neither party is forced to navigate the complicated rules imposed by insurance companies. Uh, in September 2016, Hill opened his practice in South Carolina and he's not planning on going back, but he's just one of many. As ACA became increasingly suffocating to patients and providers, many doctors ditched the system altogether while others went into the primary care business. On average, members of these direct primary care clinics pay as little as $60 per month, with couples paying about $150. Without having to handle heavily regulated middlemen, patients have a clear picture of how much they spend on their health by being members of such practices. They also enjoy the peace of mind of knowing their doctor. Uh, studies have already demonstrated that when there is good communication between doctor and patients, treatment are more efficient. This is not simply because doctors giving more patients attention, but also because they are able to tailor certain treatment to the patient's lifestyle, health, and activities. By removing the government entirely from the picture and allowing patients and doctors to once again deal directly with one another, the practice of embracing primary care helps to illustrate the importance of an individual and personalized approach to health care. For government and government's bureaucrats, everything is dealt with from a collective perspective. After all, if all you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, when government gets involved in healthcare, everything looks like another number, another statistic. But what bureaucrats fail to understand is that they do not possess all the answers. Only a doctor who is paying attention will be better to help an individual patient, not a few thousand new regulations. In essence, what is a growing movement seems to suggest is, even if doctors and patients are unaware of the interventionist forces driving the cost of doing business and receiving medical attention, they're still driven into the open arms of the free market at some point or another. Uh, in the end, needs speak louder than ideology. End of the article. It was for dental work uh, for me, but I ran into this type of arrangement um, at a, a local dental clinic. Um, 
because I'm on the uh, be, because of my uh, injury that I sustained over a year ago, uh, I was forced, uh, not forced. I, I, you know, whatever, forced by nature uh, to to sign up for some you know Obamacare. Uh, call it Aloha Care here in Hawaii, where we do the show from, um, because I was uninsured at the time, and you know, hey, what happened? It, you know. Stuff happens, and medical bills are way too expensive, and I was just going to, like, not pay and then default and do all that other stuff that, you know, I'm allowed to do, even though it's not right. So I feel bad, and you want to call me a hypocrite, call me a hypocrite. I'm, I'm comfortable with it for this particular issue anyway. Um, but I, I had I needed some dental work, so I found out from the insurance company, like, no, do I have dental care? Like, is that, is that a thing on, on whatever you guys, you know, force, you know, ask me nicely to sign up for. Um, and it was like catastrophic, right? Like emergency. If I'm in pain, it's, it's covered. Um, and, uh, they don't do anything except for extraction. So if you're on the, if you're on the free dental plan, it's like, if, if something hurts, they just fucking pull it. That's all they do. Right. It's like, okay, well, if, if you want anything more than that, if you want to get like actual work done, you got to pay for it yourself. I'm like, all right. So it's worthless. So I don't feel too bad, but I went to the, I went to the clinic, the dental clinic, um, and when I got there, they said, "No, sorry, we don't take that insurance." I'm like, "What? If I can sit on the phone, you did? Came all the way down here? Fucking someone better help me out here." Um, and so the dental clinic itself like bent their own rules and allowed me to to proceed onward, uh, and and to to at least get a, a checkup to see what was wrong, what was causing me the distress, uh, and then to fix it, they charged and I paid. Um, but, you know, they, they were like, well, if you go and get other dental insurance, then we'll take that. So I was like, well, how much does that cost and how does that work? And what a nightmare, you know, to do that, right? Because the, the break-even point, the break-even point for the dental insurance that I would need to have gotten was after a year, right? I, I, I would have to pay into it for an entire year before they actually started to provide any coverage, right? To make sure you don't just sign up for it and leave, which, you know, whatever. Um, you got to pay, you got, they don't, they don't do anything for you until after you buy into it for a year. And I was like, well, that's stupid. I don't want to buy into it for a year because what I, the work I need done is going to be like the same amount. If I just go get the work done and pay out of pocket, then pay these assholes for a whole year, you know, to not cover it until a year later. It's stupid. Um, but the dental clinic itself offered one of these, you know, arrangements where, uh, you pay them a monthly fee, uh, you know, or an annual fee. And then they do a certain amount of work, uh, you know, f- free of charge for the most part as, as part of the package deal. Um, and then things that are above and beyond the package deal, well, you got to pay above and beyond the package price. Um, I'm like, wow, that's that's an interesting way to do it, right? You know, insurance is so such nonsensical uh, that they've, they've come up with their own, you know, subscription program uh, to get dental work done. Um, and although I didn't sign up for it because I, they fixed me up, I paid the cash. And, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm good to go for now. We'll see what happens when another injury or issue or pain pops up. Um, But I just wasn't willing to pay the the monthly fee uh, at the time. Still aren't. But I'm glad it's available because if I ever do need to go down and get it done again, I'm definitely going to sign up for this thing uh, instead of the insurance. Uh, So I can totally see right where where that clinic is going and where this article is going. And that's, you know, that the market will eventually find a way, you know, come hell or high water. Um, although one of the lessons learned, even though it's fiction from Atlas Shrugged is, uh, at some point the, the, the restrictions on the market can become so suffocating, uh, that market actors just, you know, just decide to quit. 
Um, but, you know, places like North Korea where, you know, the, the black market is keeping people alive, uh, it's good to know that it still exists amidst the, the, the rules, the regulations, the, the laws, the impositions uh, cast down upon citizens. And same here in the States and in Hawaii. Right. It's good to see that, you know, that, that there's still, you know, the gray area, the gray market uh, that people can operate in to get the stuff they need and the stuff they want done uh, without fear of repercussions from the government and other state actors. And as long as we continue to operate in those gray areas and in those black markets, um, you know, have no fear uh, when when the state collapses, the anarchists and the agorists will be here to take care of you. And that being said, that'll do it for me this week, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. Uh, join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash anarchistexperience. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion, facebook.com slash groups slash anarchistexperience. Uh, and if you like hearing my voice and you listen to me every week and you go, my God damn, that guy's got to be rich. Uh, I'm not, so send me money. Uh, we do that through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week in a few days, whenever we decide to do the show. Uh, peace. Peace.